This is the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. Hosts Matt McCrone, Brian Moreland, and Glenn Lotzenheiser talk everything Tennessee Titans. This show is made for the fans of Bleed Two-Tone Blue. What up, Two-Tone Nation? It's your boy, Morocco, a.k.a. Morakpo, and you listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. Tighten up! You're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. I'm your host, Ryan Moreland, with me tonight on a very special episode. The email-deleting bastard, Matt Necrone. What's up, Matt? It's all good, baby. We got KB53 coming on tonight. Absolutely. <laughs> also with me, very special guest with us, Dick LeBeau's older brother, Glenn Lotzenheiser. What's up, Glenn? I was just talking to Dick last night about how Ryan talking about Matt is like pot calling the kettle black when it comes to deleting fucking emails. <laughs> damn. <laughs> of all the damn people going to accuse somebody of deleting an email. That's true. I, I took the high road, but you're right. See, I look at it. I look at, <laughs> at it like it's not the email numbers that count; it's the quality of email. And if you add up all of mine, it does not equal an email from Bullock. That's true. You're not wrong, but fuck both of you. <laughs> we're, we're talking to Keith Bullock. Who cares? Shut up, guys. Let's get on with this. We are very excited to have our next guest on the show with us, Mr. Monday Night himself, Keith Bullock. Keith, it's an honor to have you on the show. Well, it's an honor to be on your show. I really appreciate you guys reaching out and getting me up here. For sure. Absolutely. Keith, let's jump right into it here. Um, We know you grew up in New York, and you you were growing up during the Lawrence Taylor era for the Giants. How much did LT shape what you became as a football player? Um, I would say LT didn't shape anything about me being a football player. I did, although I did grow up about, you know, 30 minutes from the Meadowlands, and I guess I was a Giants fan um, out of the New York teams because really I was a 49ers Raiders fan growing up. But, um, yeah, I guess uh, the Giants definitely were being right in our backyard, man, um, and they played good football in the, in the 80s, and, you know, I, it was, you couldn't help but uh, be a fan of them too. But I, wasn't, I didn't want to be a linebacker, man. I was um, a wide receiver, a running back, and a safety. I think I played every other position besides linebacker. So, you know, although LT was, to me, the best outside linebacker there's been, um, you know, he didn't really have anything to do with my football progress. Keith, who would you say then was the guy that you really looked up to when you were growing up in the league? Ronnie Lott, man. You know, I, I wanted to be a safety. You know, I, I wanted to be the next Ronnie Lott. I definitely looked up to Ronnie Lott. I loved his game. I loved the passion he played with. I loved how he, you know, was just a hitter from the safety position. And he was somebody, um, you know, back there that ball carriers and wide receivers had to be aware of. He'd take your head off. So I, I kind of wanted to be the next Ronnie Lott. <laughs> Yeah, you could do a lot worse than you know a guy who just struck terror into everybody he played against. Ronnie Lott was a beast. Yeah, he was. Yeah. So you and Donovan McNabb were at Syracuse together, obviously two of the best in the business there and in the NFL. When you got your chances to play against him in the league, did you approach those games any differently because he was an old teammate that you never got to hit in practice? 
Oh, yeah, man. Uh, I, I definitely approached those. I wouldn't say differently, but, you know, those were games that, you know, we had to win to me because he was a former teammate. Um, Donovan came in the league and was tearing it up as soon as he stepped on the field. So um, it's funny, the first, my first official start as a Titan, like my first year starting, I believe that was that 2003 season, uh, we opened up with the Eagles. So, um, you know, I don't think I, I played any, like, stellar games against the Eagles, but one thing I can always brag about when I see my friend Donovan is the fact that he's never beaten Tennessee. So, you know, I don't <laughs> think I, I never picked him off or anything like that. Although I did have an opportunity, I dropped it or I didn't see it, whatever. <laughs> uh, he, he's never beaten any of my teams. So, you know, he just shuts up once those conversations come. There you go. So you were drafted, obviously, by the Titans in the 2000 draft, 30th overall. It took two years before you became a starter for the team. Did you expect to start right away, being such a high selection, or did you expect to actually have to come in and learn learn the system and progress into that starter role? Well, my first year I was there, it was the team was fresh off of the Super Bowl. So, no, I definitely didn't expect to come in and start. You know, um, I contributed on goal line and – in the extra backer package, but I definitely, my first year, no. Um, my second year, yeah, I worked my ass off that um, off season. Um, I learned the the defense, I learned the ins and outs of it, and, um, <clears throat> you know, I was ready to go. But I, I think that um, coming off that 13-3 and season and losing to Baltimore that first round at home in the playoffs, I believe that uh, Coach Fish and the co- coaching staff felt that, you know, we had the same, if not similar, team to make another run at it, and they wanted to keep the defense intact. Um, I wound up playing more anyway. Um, towards the end of the year, we were playing the nickel package anyway, so I wound up being out there more. But, yeah, I wanted to be a starter. You know, I'm looking around the league. Um, LeVar Arrington's out there starting, going to the Pro Bowl. Erlacher starting going to the Pro Bowl. John Abraham, um, Julian Peterson, all those guys were – already starting going to the Pro Bowl, and I hadn't even touched the field yet. So it kind of bugged me a bit. Keith, you ended up, as you progressed through your career, becoming a captain and you know on this defense. What was the guy on the team uh, when you first got there that you really looked up to and, and learned those leadership skills from? Oh, man, there, was a, there were plenty of guys to learn from when I, when I got to the team. Um, that was when, like, the league – you know, was filled with veterans. You know, Eddie Robinson was in my linebacker room, and he was, you know, 11-year vet. You know, you had Eddie George, obviously, Steve McNair, obviously, Wycheck, Blaine, Marcus Robertson, uh, Samari Roll. Like, so my whole team, um, there were people that I can learn from. You know, speaking about being a captain, I think Eddie probably, Eddie George embodies um, what you probably would want your football captain to be I mean look (laughs) he had all the quotes (laughs) you know he had all the all the phrases and everything but uh, he definitely can get you ready uh to to play a game I don't feel like a player should need someone to give them a pep talk before a football game but you know that's kind of what happens and um you know Eddie you know exemplified those leadership skills on and off the field as well as Steve Kevin Carter so it's hard to just say one but when I think of a captain of the Tennessee Titans, I really think of Eddie George. Honestly, I never even wanted to be captain. I think it just came by default because everybody left. <laughs> or you were that good. One of the two. One of the two. I appreciate that. 
Keith, we've talked to other guys that played during um, the time that you were there, like uh, Drew Bennett and Justin McCarrens, and both of them had, both of them said the same thing about Eddie George that he was the guy that was first in the weight room, last to leave, first at practice, last to leave. Would you say that's absolutely true about Eddie? Yeah, man, he can have all that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Um, <laughs> like if everybody, you know, if you could pick a uh, character, like a, a superhero friend, Eddie is Captain America. You know what I'm saying? Like. He's Captain America, so I, you know, I don't know, you know, if he was the first one in and last to leave, but I know he was definitely in there and putting in work, you know, anytime. He was definitely a hard worker, and it pays off. Like I worked out with him like two years ago, and we're retired, and I won't work out with him again because he had me working out like we're getting ready to play the Pittsburgh Steelers. So and I'm like, yo, I'm retired. I don't need this high volume workout. So yeah, Eddie, Eddie's the man. Yeah, you know, Ray Lewis said that they were on, I think it was Twitter the other day. You know, it said that he's actually bigger now than when he played. Obviously, that drive has never left that dude. Yeah, Eddie's definitely – he's bigger than when he played. Um, but he's in shape still, so it's kind of odd. <laughs> Some people live to work like that, man. <laughs> yeah, better him than me. I'm skinny yeah, me right too. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I, I feel the same way. I'm skinny in the arms and round in the middle. <laughs> So yeah, let's, let's talk about that Monday night nickname. People forget that you gave yourself that uh, nickname before the game. You know, and then you went out there and you picked off a future Hall of Famer, Drew Brees, three times in one game. You know, is that your favorite performance? Um, it's just it's. I wouldn't know if it's. I don't think it's my favorable. It's def favorite. It's definitely my most memorable, and I think um, you know, the fans like it like it the best because, like you said, like I I really did call my shot. Like you know, I I was just really kidding around and you know when the media came into the locker room obviously we hadn't been playing good football the last couple of years and um yeah I was like yeah I'm Mr. Monday night and then I, they just ran with it and then I went out there and performed but you know I didn't really expect obviously I didn't expect to go out there and have three interceptions that night but you know I feel like I'm always going to show up and especially you know, when you're the only team on, you know, there's two teams playing on primetime and you're in a small market, um, you got to go out there and get yours. And, you know, fortunately for me, um, you know, Drew Brees underestimated, <laughs> I guess, myself. <laughs> yeah, fortunately for us, too, man, I love that game. I, I still remember, you know, very clearly watching that game. Yeah, it was fun. It definitely was fun. Um and and you know I, that team that we had um, that that was a fun team that was in the beginning stages of the rebuilding of um, you know the Titans to where we made that you know playoff run towards the end of my career with Tennessee. Right. Well, listen, man. One of my favorite Titan moments with you uh, was back in 2008 in a game against the uh, my most hated team in the league, the Pittsburgh Steelers, where you famously <laughs> stomped out the terrible towel on the sidelines. <laughs> Was that something you guys planned out? Did the number of Steeler fans in the crowd play a part in that? It was, um, you know, that whole game, man. The, coming leading up to that week, I think we had already like maybe had lost a game. Um, you know, we went on a ten game win streak, then we had lost a game. And I remember, excuse me, Albert and Kyle weren't playing that game, and um, you know, they just everybody wrote us off that we we're gonna, you know, get drug at home and this, that, and the other, and. You know, Pittsburgh came in and it was a good game. And then we, you know, we blew, we blew um, the top off of it and put it out of reach. And, you know, there were a ton. Pittsburgh fans travel well. You know, they're one oh, yeah. of the Pittsburgh, Chicago, Green Bay, 
you know, there's there's just certain teams whose fans they will take over your stadium if you if you let them. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah. yeah. During the game, I just noticed a whole bunch of yellow and the towels, and then um, game was out of reach. And yeah, it was just instinctual, man. Because at that point, we had clinched. Um, I knew the playoffs came through Tennessee, and the message was just being sent. Like, <laughs> all right, it's playoff. You know, whenever the playoffs come, it comes back through here. And I felt like it was going to be us or Pittsburgh and shit. You could come back through and get your towel. You know what I mean? But we ain't making that far. <laughs> you think Pittsburgh was one of your most, you know, most hated rivalries or do you look at another team like that? I hate the Chargers, man. I really hate the Chargers. I, we never beat, I never beat the Chargers, but I just, you know, when you say a team that I really dislike, I just dislike the Chargers, which, which is wild because all the guys on that team on those teams that I hate are pretty good dudes. You know what I'm saying? But, <laughs> shoot, if you can't beat them, I, I guess you would hate them, right? Yeah, you definitely build up a garage. All right, Keith. In your career, you know, you had over 1,000 tackles, 21 interceptions, five touchdowns. And what's very impressive, too, at your position, how physical it is, from the day you started with the Titans until you left the team, you only missed three games. What do you think was the biggest factor for you to help you in your success of being a really great football player? Um, I don't know, man. I, I practiced, you know what I mean? Um, I know Allen Iverson is famous for talking about not practicing, and honestly, looking back, I wish I hadn't practiced as much. But I practiced. You know, you can't really – I practiced and I was blessed. You can't really put on – um put a finger on why someone stays healthy and and their durability, but I took care of my body. You know, I worked out. Um, I did all the things that they said that you needed to do in order to stay healthy. And a lot of that too, I'm sure was just, you know, being fortunate not to t- get any serious injuries. I mean, my most serious injury was my ACL and um, that came in year 10. So I definitely, definitely was blessed because look, I remember, Donald Mitchell played for us. He was having a, a great career or whatever. And then we're at a special teams practice during camp and he blew his knee out. You know what I mean? I've seen people go down just from, you know, little to nothing at practice. So, you know, I don't feel bad for myself or anything, but um, I, yeah, I just think that it was just, I was just able to do that because I took care of myself and part of it was just being, you know, blessed, fortunate. It, nothing wrong with having good genes in there to you know, keep the body together. Uh, I'll take that too. <laughs> all right. <laughs> you know, obviously, you were you know Titans first. You know, every everybody, around, especially around us, obviously remembers you as a Titan. But you know, you you ended your career by going back back to New York, back towards home. Was that a going home, or would you rather have played somewhere else and just that was the best offer? Um, honestly, I would have rather played like home for me when it comes to football is Tennessee. So. I would have rather stayed in Tennessee, but that wasn't the option or an offer. So, you know, my agent knew that, uh, you know, I'd all, I would, of course, you know, him being in New Yorker too, knew that I would love to play for the Giants. And, um, you know, the Giants gave me that opportunity. And I'm sure there were others, but I didn't entertain any other opportunities because that's where I wanted to be. And it was, um, it was a great experience, man. You know, look, it didn't go the way I wanted it to. Actually, I got hurt against the Titans. I got turf toe, and that kind of put me back uh, another four, four or five weeks as far as my physical health. And by then, you know, the team is already rolling, and I'm I'm reduced to just the role. So it was a great experience in the sense that 
within a year, I, I was at the top, one of the top players at my position on a way to a Pro Bowl. And then, you know, a year later, I'm just trying to find some playing time on a team, you know, that's on their way to the playoffs. So it, it was, um, it was, per, it was, I was able to put it in perspective and it actually kind of gave me some closure to my career when the time came. Keith, you just talked about, you know, going to New York and then coming back and you have to play against the team that you played your whole career with and you talked about how that was home for you was Nashville. Going into that game, what was your mindset like going up against the team that, you know, was your team for your whole career up until that year? Oh man, it was straight. I just wanted to punish them. <laughs> I just wanted to I wanted to like yeah, I just wanted to punish them. Because at the end of the day, to everything you just said, like the guys on that team, they obviously felt like because right before the game, um, it was like I, I think I hugged everybody on that team. Although I wasn't trying to, I just wanted to say what's up to some of my defensive guys because they were down at the middle of the field. I think Tony Brown was calling me, and I went to say what's up to my defensive guys, and then some of the other guys came over. It just was like organic and natural, and I didn't want to talk to any of them because I wanted to. Just hurt them in about 30 minutes. <laughs> but it was all good. <laughs> it was all good. It's one of those moments where you are you go back to play your team and you want to prove a point that, hey, you guys should have brought me back. But, you know, the, the love was still there from the fans and from your teammates. So, Yeah, it was just Reinfeld's punk ass. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what I wanted to hear someone say. Thank you. Exactly, man. There was a lot of turmoil going on at that time, man. They, they did a few guys dirty. You know what? I've seen it happen to Eddie. I've seen it happen to Steve. I've seen it happen. My whole thing, I just felt like, all right, I played out my whole contract. And, like, you just like I just felt like, honestly, I was put on the street. Like, I was put on the street. Like, I'm, you know, I'm coming off an injury. I'm injured. It's not going to cost you any, any more money. You know what I mean? Um, it's not like, yeah, it was going to hurt the salary cap or anything i think i paid for two and a half mil you know my last year with the giants anyway so whatever i didn't cry over it i just didn't like the fact once i left you know i didn't like how jeff got in the paper or in his press conference and was saying that i wanted to leave and it was all me i could you know because it was never and there was never an opportunity for that and i asked reinfeld to his face you know what was up with um you know my contract because obviously I'm not shy. <laughs> right. You know and so, um, you know, it's just how it goes. And it's yeah. crazy. It's crazy that the, the faces of the franchise are getting treated like this. Like it's, it's not just a, you know, a guy that's been there a couple of years. You've been there for 10 years, but like now, you know, everything is everything, you know, Titans organization, you know, they welcome back with open arms and, you know, we'll, we'll move on. It seemed like for a long time there, you know, I've, I grew up in Houston originally, so I was an Oilers fan for a long time. And this this team and this franchise just had a habit of letting guys who had really earned their way through just kind of let them go for those last couple of years instead of paying them that one last time, even when they didn't want more money, like you just said. You know, it, it was really frustrating as a fan of the team to watch our great players go in their careers in other places. You know, you and Steve and Eddie and Warren. It just it was so frustrating to see guys pushed out the door for that next young hot thing that they had coming up there before they even knew the guy was ready to play. It really pissed us off as fans. You know, obviously, you know, we, we can tell how you feel about the situation, which I'm loving hearing. Because, I mean, for a lot of years, we were really fucking mad about that. You know, and... It just—it's good to hear a player 
say how he honestly felt because most guys will kind of hedge their way around. They're like, oh, you know, it's the business, yada, yada. Some of that shit was just wrong. Yeah, no, I mean, look, it it is the business, but at the same time, there's a way to go about business. And like you said, like, look, I I was there for 10 years. I know everybody's name in the building. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I, I feel, look, you don't, I don't feel like Ryan Fell or owners owed me anything, but if I ask you a question, let's have the conversation. Like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, but I, I guess, you know, it is what it is. But like I say, man, I've been done, moved on from that, but it's, it's good to talk about because I don't think that I ever have really said anything about it. And, you know, that's just how I feel. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. You did come back to sign for a day to retire as a Titan. Yeah, man, I did that. I was um on a serious radio tour, and then it was um <clears throat> honestly one of those things. I just wanted to put closure to my career. Like um, uh, I really got into this show when I got hurt called Spartacus. Um, it was on like Stars. It's about you know old. It's about gladiators. You know, back in the day, and you know, it. I just kind of felt like all football players were modern day gladiators. So if you get the opportunity to last that long in the arena and survive and get your freedom and you're able to go back home to retire or, you know, one last hurrah, I think that's where your final, my final football resting place should be in Nashville. You know, obviously with the Titans, that's where I played for 10 years. So it only made sense that I go back and retire where I started. Yeah, I know that show. Yeah, exactly just how you described that. Yeah, it was a badass show. <laughs> I don't know that show, but I, I know I'm going to look it up. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Keith, we're going to shift real quick from talking about your career to the, the Titans roster now. And, you know, I know all of us on the show agree the last time there was this much hype around the Titans team, Mr. Monday Night was still playing for that team. Uh, so how well do you think Tennessee's going to do this year, in your opinion? I think they'll do fine, man. I look, they just missed the playoffs last year. <clears throat> if this is um I believe in this team. Um I believe they have enough parts and enough veteran parts that at this point that have been on other teams that have won some games that have been in position to including last year um you know correct some of the wrongs that they had in the past. Um their quarterback is more mature, he's going to be ready to play and they have a running game. Running game and their defense comes to play. So they have the makings of being a really good team, it just really comes down to what they believe in. And I just feel like they need to get that attitude where pretty much fuck everybody and just anybody they play against on Sunday is going to get the business. You understand what I'm saying? So um, I don't I don't know the approach and the attitude that they take to the field, but I know when your team is primed to like this, it's got to be one of those things like they no one can come into your stadium and win type deal. You know, um, you got to have some type of chip on your shoulder. And I feel that they should because they haven't been getting any respect, you know, the last five, six, seven years. So in Tennessee, man, you got to go out and take it, you know, and they got to be ready to do that. That's what I was looking for. You got to be out, be able to go out and, and take it. Those games that they're supposed to supposed to lose, like opening game is a perfect example. You need yeah. to let the Raiders come in there, lock the doors, and don't let them out until the game is over. You know? <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, this team has definitely established more of that feeling that we used to have where I heard other teams saying that they're not going to let us come in there and bully them. 
I love hearing people talk like that because they're already scared. You know, they've already mm-hmm. punked out at that point. Like the Titans aren't going to come in here and bully us. They're not going to be the bullies of this division. Well, obviously, we already are. Yeah, that's good. I mean, and that and that speaks volumes to how they played ball last year. Look, one thing I know from watching this game and how this game has progressed, you get um, Demarco Murray or. Um, King Henry in that second level, those um, defensive backs are trying to bite ankles, you know. So if if you guys are if they're ripping off four or five six yards a pop, that sets up the play action. And look, Davis can go out there and make a couple plays. If Decker can make a um, few plays downfield, uh, I think that that'll open up their offense tremendously. And then at that point, the defense just has to hold. You know, they're going to put pressure on the ball. But um, if offense just puts up points like they've been doing, I think the Titans are going to be a problem for a lot of people. And I just need, yo, why do I have such a hard time with the Colts? Because I don't even feel like they're that good. They're not the oh. Colts that we were playing against, goddammit. Hell no. no. They're not, man. <laughs> we got robbed on multiple occasions. I don't know if you follow them that closely, but it, it's it's crazy. how It's been like 12 games, I think. That's crazy. It's bullshit. It really is. It, there's no reason we should have lost that many games. Yeah, definitely. Last year, you guys had them. Um, I think it was the first one and the second. Year. Yeah, you guys they played yeah. well. I just think it's one of those things. Certain teams, um, yeah, just how, it's just like they they're in. They might be in their heads. You try and play perfect football. There's no such thing as perfect football. You just got to go out there and execute the best of your ability. And I think once you try and be too perfect, you make mistakes. Keith, we need to get in touch with someone with the Titans organization so they can change the team's motto this year to fuck everyone and give them the business because that's just the best line. <laughs> I mean, yo, pretty much, man. And, like, I, yo, it's so, you got to embrace that role. If they're calling you bullies, that's what's up. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, that's where the whole Tennessee tyrants came from. Like, nobody was giving us respect. So it's like we're going to fucking take that shit and kick your ass at the same time. So. So, like you just said a minute ago, you need the defense just basically to hold up with all these weapons we got on offense. But it made me think, how would you feel playing for a coach like Dick LeBeau? Oh, man, I think he's one of the greatest, if not the greatest football mind in in football. I mean, look, all those guys that he's coached and he's taken guys who weren't necessarily first round draft picks and made them into Hall of Famers, you know, took first round draft picks that probably coming from other teams and resurrected their career. And he's showing what he could do here uh, with Tennessee, man. He has those guys playing. And, look, how can you not play for Dick LeBeau? How can you not go 130 miles per hour for him on every play? Because, obviously, if you pay attention to what he's done in his history, um, you know, he's had nothing but successful defenses. So you have to buy in and believe. And I think uh, it's easy for those guys. Yeah, he played that way. He coaches that way. And if you do what he tells you to do, you're going to succeed. It's just you got to buy in on him. Absolutely. So on Sundays, who was that one guy that you were looking forward to hitting? You know, someone who you know, was causing the team trouble, talking shit, something like that. Who, who was the guy that on Sunday you just wanted to go out there and blast? Um, I always, you know what, whoever said anything in the paper, if somebody was talking shit before the game from the other team, oh, he was going to get it. Like, you know, um, that's funny. I was with Edron James last night and we were talking, uh, we were talking football and, you know, he was, we were talking about how we prepared in the scouting report. Uh, it's funny cause he was like, you know, his scouting report on me, it's like, I'm not a big hitter, but I'm a short tackler. Like, I'm not going to knock you. I'm not going to decleat you, but you know what I mean? And that's fair, you know, obviously, but I definitely was trying to 
trying to hurt people when I tackle them. I, I would say someone I could remember. I remember we were playing the Texans one year, and they had a running back, Stacy Mack. And I remember him saying, one of the reporters came to me and was like, yo, Stacy Mack says that your defense isn't that good. However, he placed it. Yo, I don't think that guy ran for, like, 20 yards that game. Like, I was really juiced up for that game. So I would say anybody who's out there talking crazy or if we have um, a top matchup, man, like if we're playing against, like, say, an Antonio Gates or a Gonzalez or a Jamal Lewis or a Fred Taylor, whoever their number one guy is and whoever my matchup is, um, I'm trying to go out there and dominate my matchup. So usually I got – you know, one of those guys, you know, the the tight end or, you know, the, the multi-purpose running back. So moral of the story, don't give Keith Bullock bulletin board material and you'll get to live. Yeah, nah, you know, I, I, that works for me. For whatever reason, it just it just adds a little more. And then even like, you know, some people, like I, I wasn't a talker on the field. Um, I'd be too tired. I never came off the field, so I, I didn't talk shit on the field. But um before and after, I'll give it to you any which way you want. And then I'll send you up on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, uh, Stacy Mack, I never heard of her, but, you know. <laughs> nice. So, so, listen, we've had Bo Scaife on before, and he actually mentioned you as one of his favorite guys on the team. And I'm not expecting you to go ahead and, and name him as one of yours, but who do you think was your closest friend while you were on the team? Um, I would say – I would say, wow, I would say it would probably be between, like, I would have a few, man, because we all, that first um, wave of Titans, man, we rolled pretty tough. Um, I would say Lance Schulters, Samari Roll, Tank Williams, and Javon Kurse, the Rocky Boyman in there, too. You know, okay. um, that, that crew of that crew of Titans, man, that was, um we we hung tight, man. We hung, we hung really tight. Maybe we could have won some more games if we didn't hang as tight as we did. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those guys, those guys are good guys. And then, you know, when you get later in the, my career, I liked, um, you know, believe it or not, Pac-Man was, was a great teammate. Um, Lindell, VY, all those younger guys, man. Cause I was like a big brother to them. Bo, me and Bo actually spoke to Bo today. Um, yeah, man, it was like, at that point it was more like, Big brother, you know, looking out and making sure everybody's cool. And at the same time, you know, giving them some guidance as young dudes going through the league. Whereas with those first group of guys, we're all going through it, through it together at the same time, at the same point of our careers. So we definitely were, were living the dream for real. Definitely. Keith, if you had to pick one individual play over your career that was your favorite, what play would it be? Wow. Uh Probably, oh, okay, one just popped in my head. I don't know if it's my favorite, but it just popped in my head. I think there was one time I picked Peyton off at the line of scrimmage. Um, yo, any play I made against Peyton was a, was a, <laughs> was a damn special, like, you had to do something extra. I think another one I caught with one hand. Like, I only think I picked him, like, two or three times, but those two or three times were, like, amazing plays. But I guess the play that sticks out in my head since we we're just talking about talking about him when Tank Williams um, sacked Peyton up in the RCA dome, which it was then, and I scooped the fumble and took it to the house 60 yards. I think that was a that was a great play. Um, you know, just from just remembering, you know, and I was always offensive minded. So I was always trying to score anytime I got the ball. So it was great that uh, we were able to get it in. I'm glad you said Peyton Manning, man, because I've always asked this from more of an offensive standpoint. But as a defender, do you think and I know you played him, you know, twice a year for 10 years. 
is he the best quarterback you've ever played against? Uh, yeah, man. You know, he's definitely, he's definitely, I played against him, Brady and Favre. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. You know, uh, he's definitely, he's definitely up there. You know, he's great. What makes a great quarterback is, you know, you, you're prepared for every single thing. You know what I mean? And it's, you know, talking with EJ last night, he gave me some insight to kind of their game plans and stuff like that. And it, they were just so on point and uh, all of them, because EJ told me how he prepared. And then obviously, you know, Peyton's preparation is, is infamous is world famous, um, how he gets ready for, for an opponent. So, um, yeah, man, Peyton, man, it was very tough. They're only running the same five or six plays. That's what's so frustrating. They're running the five or same five or six plays, but they're shredding you for three hundred in the air and a hundred on the ground. <laughs> so yeah, definitely. You know, yeah. When they work, you don't have to do anything else. You know, right? So it's like when you go against the Colts. Okay, they're going to run six plays. We're going to run four defenses, and you know, if we stop them, we win. Offense, give us some points, please. Going in the other direction with that, what's one game or one play that you wish you could have back and do over? Man, that's funny. Oh, you know what? I have never watched this game, and I never watched any of our playoff losses. But when we played up in New England in that freezing cold game, there was a pass in the flat that I kind of dove at, and it went through my arms. I don't – I never seen it. I, I feel like I should have caught it. But um, that would have turned – that would have been huge in that playoff game. Um, and there was a game on Monday night, and we were playing uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think I no, – I didn't have a pick that game. I dropped a pick that could have, I think, maybe even sealed the game. I mean, look, it would have been a, a, a great play, but it hit my hand, so I needed to catch it. So this is kind of a little out-there question, but I guess we could say either – a current Titan or even just anybody in the league today. Is there anybody that you wish you could have played alongside to maybe help your game out a little bit? Um, played alongside. Now, you know what, man, I think I, I would have loved to played in a linebacker tandem. Um, like, you know, Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis had, you know what I mean? Um, but look, at the end of the day, Steven Tulloch was great. David Thornton was great. Peter Sermon was great. All the guys that I, I played with were great. I just would have liked to have seen, you know, just based upon this question, what it would have been like to play with an all-pro right next to you. That would have been yeah. crazy. But, shit, I had all-pros in front of me, you know, Vandenbosch, Javon Kirsk, yeah, <laughs> guys like that. And the way our D-line played and the way our defense was structured, they're not holding up double teams. Everybody's it's like every man for themselves. So playing linebacker in our defense, you definitely had to be able to shed blocks, attack attack linemen downhill, and pretty much fend for yourself to make plays because it's whoever gets to the ball first gets that tackle stat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Keith, we've asked a couple guys that have come on this show this question. We want to get your opinion. Who was the funniest guy on the team? Oh, uh, man. Um... Well, early in my career, man, there's a bunch. I was there 10 years. So Perry Phoenix definitely was one of the funniest guys when I got there. Um, he was there my rookie year, safety. Then we had Tony Beckham, who was a, a corner. He was pretty funny. We had him for a few years. And, shoot, as um, later Titans, who was funny? 
VY was pretty funny. Vince Young was pretty funny, man. Vince Young was pretty funny. Wendell White was funny to me. Pac-Man was funny to me. I think as I got older, all the younger guys got funny because they would do the stupidest shit. And they would just be entertaining. (laughs) You know what? And it's no fault of their own because you got to think about it. It's like, okay, I'm 26, 27. These guys are 20, 21. Just got a pocket full of cash, you know, or around real women for the first time. So they're going through all these experiences and everything that they ask or talk about is pretty funny. So it was just it was a lot of comedy, um, you know, when I was when I was playing all throughout my years. Yeah, it's you always just, awesome to be able to laugh at the younger brother while he's you know learning about life and you've already been there and made that same mistake. Now you can watch him do it and laugh at him. Yeah, absolutely. Drew Bennett was a funny guy, too. Yeah, man, we had a bunch of funny tank was fun. We had a bunch of, you know, it, yeah, we, it's like a lot. Some people were extra special funny, but some people were just like, just do like stupid shit. That's just funny as hell. Like, why would you do that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, you know, you said that you were too tired to talk shit at people. Who was the biggest trash talker you played against that could actually back that shit up? Um, that I played against on offense? Or defense. <laughs> I, I nobody. <laughs> nobody. No one can back it up. I mean, look, now, like, no one really talked. Just because I wasn't a talker doesn't mean that there wasn't talking going on. Like, <laughs> there were personal battles going on out there, people people going back and forth. I know Fred Taylor is a guy that he's not going. Like, I mean, when I say by he's not going, he's not with the punk shit. Like, he's a... You know, he's one of those dudes that you say something to, you know, he's he's saying it back and he's going to come back and try and run your ass over, too. So, you know, I, I, off the top of my head, I would say Fred Taylor, we played against him so many times. I know, shit, we used to dog Jacksonville here and there, so he would have to take some of the, the brunt end of those ass kickings. But at the same time, <laughs> he wasn't no punk out there. And um, if somebody wanted to, to give it to him, um, verbally, he'll give it back to them verbally and probably physically. All right, man. I got this is kind of like a little two parter, but I want to know what's the best training camp fight you've either been in or seen while you were there. And also, on top of that, rookie hazing. What's your best rookie hazing story? <laughs> well, <clears throat> my best rookie hazing story uh, has to be Pac Man. Pac Man, he, he, he held out. Uh, he's just a pain in the ass. Then he wanted to talk shit. So um, we tied. We got Big Country, some of the linemen, Root, uh, Zach Pillar. You know what? I left Zach Pillar out as a funny guy. Zach Pillar was, <laughs> were two of the funniest guys that I played with, too. I'm sorry. I had to go back to that. But um, we tied Pac-Man to this um, pole like a pig. We tied his ankles and his wrists. And we just kept dunking him in the cold tub, we kept dunking him in the cold tub. And I actually dropped him in there and left him there and they had to get him out. <laughs> they had to get him out. Um, <laughs> and then for Pac-Man, we went to like the rookie dinner. Yeah, we ran up like $17,000 on his card. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I tell you, he deserved it though. So <laughs> there you um, go. Um, what was the other one? Best training camp fight you were either in or saw. I didn't get into training camp fights. Um, we're going to fight for real. You know what I mean? After practice, if it's that serious. Um, right. But so. The I, reason I bring it up today, I don't know if you heard, there was uh, Spain and uh, Avery Williamson got into it today. So I don't know. Oh, maybe, really? maybe you had a few heated exchanges. 
Yo, nah. I mean, look, I'm. I remember when Kevin Mawai first got to the team. Um, he did some bullshit and threw me down in practice, and I got got up right in his face. But you know, Kevin Mawai, savvy vet, was just kind of probably trying to see what his team, his new team, was made of. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So yeah. it didn't really, didn't really go anywhere. Um, Albert got to it, but you know what? I remember the fight up in Clarksville. That's what I remember. I think it was Donnie Nicky and Lindell. And then, like, V.Y. came out of nowhere and, like, <laughs> jumped in. And then it became, like, an offensive-defensive fight. I stayed out of it. But, yeah, I that one fight in Clarksville. I mean, look, when, when cats are fighting in practice, it's just usually frustration or usually it's one of those uh, – usually it's one of those punk-ass wide receivers thinking that they're being held or something like that. You know, I, offense are the babies. They always start the fights. <laughs> Damn right they do. <laughs> we actually had Nicky on and uh, talked to him about that fight. I'll see. <laughs> Did the guys like him, like the, I mean, he was around for almost 10 years too, I think. And, yeah. and I know he was strictly like a special teamer. Does, does he get the, the same kind of respect that the other guys get? He gets the same kind of respect. He gets it from me, and I'm sure he got it from his other teammates too. Like um, speaking of Donnie Nicky specifically, like we've seen him go down, cover a kickoff and – you know, definitely come out with CTE. <laughs> yeah. Um, Donnie Nicky was one of those guys, man. He's my brother for life. And, you know, Rob Baronis, all those guys, Kenny Amato, um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Anybody that, that really went down and set the tone for us. And look, sometimes you come into the NFL and you want to be a starting wide receiver, linebacker, safety. But look, having a job in the NFL for eight years is great. And, um, you know, we didn't we didn't um, slight those guys at all because at the end of the day, in our fifty three man roster, we're one in the same. Well, what about Hendrick? Craig? <laughs> oh, dusty booty. Um, <laughs> Craig, yeah, Craig was the OG man. Like I remember coming in the um, practice one time, and I saw like him punting for Notre Dame, and those films really look like Rudy, like back. Yeah. In the- <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And I was like, yo, Craig, I saw you against Michigan State. And it was just crazy to realize, like, Craig had played for almost, like, 20 years or so. And being a punter, um, I didn't realize also, you know, that jerking motion from when he drops the ball and his neck going down, you know, gave him neck problems. You know, you would never think that, you know, a punter in the NFL would have neck problems when they retire. Lo and behold, let's, you know, yeah. ask him that. You get them it, it all takes a toll. Yeah, for sure. All right, Keith, it was an absolute blast having you on, man. It, this was a dream come true for all three of us, and it was a lot of fun. Hey, man, it was great talking to you guys, man. If I can ever help out again, don't be, don't be shy to reach out. You can, and I will, man. <laughs> <laughs> Another big thanks to Keith Bullock for coming on the show. A great interview he gave us a couple days ago. But we wanted to come back on here so we could talk about this preseason game against the Jets. I know it wasn't a pretty one, but we have some positive takeaways and some negative takeaways. So let's jump right into it, guys. The first thing I wanted to bring up was the offensive line play. Uh, Obviously did not go very good. Seven sacks um, on Alex Tanney in the night, who played the majority of the football game. Malarkey even came out and said he was disappointed in the pass protection, and he said it wasn't just rookies but veterans as well he was disappointed in. It was rough. It was, I mean, it was rough watching Alex Tanney. I mean, he never had time to do much back there. The free runners into the backfield when they overloaded, 
the fact that we never seemed to adjust to that the whole game, it, it was really rough to watch. It was like Madden nano blitzes. It just a guy running free into the backfield, untouched, nailing your quarterback over and over again. That's kind of a red flag. That's something that's got to get fixed before Marcus is in there taking those beatings. And you know, you you can say that it was veterans, it was rookies, it was guys not picking up pass protection or whatever you want to blame it on. Personally, I think it's part of it's Alex Taney being up there not making the pre-snap reads, but that's also Ben Jones has got to be making those pre-snap reads and seeing where the cover, where the uh, pressure should be coming from and being ready for it. It looked like there was a possibly a breakdown in pre-snap communication in that regard. But whatever it is, it's got to get fixed because you cannot go into the season playing that way. Now, it's preseason. You know, we'll see what happens with it. Uh, Malarkey did come out in his press conference on Monday and or, uh, on Sunday and say that it wasn't as bad as it initially seemed, but that there were definitely things to be fixed. So we'd rather get that over with now than week one of the regular season. Yeah, it's definitely a wake-up call because a lot of overreaction, you know, we did not expect to see this great potential offense, you know, come out and, and basically lay a dud. But again, when you throw mixtures of the offensive line, like I noticed how they had, you know, Ben Jones was in there with some of the backups. Taylor Lewan stayed in by himself with some backups, and it just it didn't work. And another thing is Todd Bowles is a no joke when it comes to defensive schemes. I mean, that defense, you know, say what you want about the Jets, but that that's a pretty good defense that they faced. And first game of the preseason, there's definitely room to improve. But, you know, Alex Tanney took a brutal beating. And I, I can't blame everything on Alex Tanney, although some of the stuff obviously was, you know, due to his lack of. But I expect everyone to come back out and uh, definitely gel better next time out. Matt, you mentioned the, the overreaction, which is definitely the, what the case was, you know, from the from the fans. And I think, you know, what Glenn was just saying, even Malarkey a little bit came out and had a lot of negative things to say and, and retracted just a little bit and came back and said it wasn't as bad as he first thought. So I wanted to ask you guys, on a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being like, you know, oh shit, the season's over, 1 being like not worried at all, how worried are you right now about our pass protection going into the season? Not really. Yeah, we, we saw last year this group knows how to do it. Defensives are going to find new ways to attack this group, but I'm not too worried about it in game one with Tandy back there. They seem to hold up pretty well for Marcus. As you guys discussed, they were switching out personnel and get, working different guys in there. The first team offensive line was basically on there for a series, and after that they started kind of mixing things up. So yeah, I'm, I'm not worried yet. If we get the you know week three and week four and we're still getting our asses kicked, fuck it. There's way bigger concerns I have right now than the offensive line. I know that was the obvious standout of that game of a weakness that we've had, but again, it, it's something that they will improve. When you see, I noticed Dennis Kelly. He looked awful. I mean, he got beat bad. Definitely not the guy we saw last year. It's just so early right now. This is the first time they're actually getting out and hitting other guys. So. You know, like I just said, there's a lot of other issues that I saw with the team and offensive lines not really my main concern. That's what I was thinking too. You know, if I was gonna put it before this game it was definitely a one out of you know, on a scale from one to ten. We had such a great offensive line last year. We returned, you know, all of our starters from last year. I you know, I wasn't really worried about it. And I would say it bumped up to a two, you know, just because a little bit of I'm not worried you know, like you guys said, we had backups mixed in with starters and, and you know different points of the game 
the one thing, you know, I hope it doesn't affect their confidence. I hope this, you know, team still thinks of themselves as one of, if not the best offensive line in the National Football League. Uh, you know, like they should. That game shouldn't shake their confidence, and I don't think it will, but we do have a lot of young guys on the offensive line. Um, so that that's you know pushes it up just from a one to a two, which still you know I'm not worried. You know, just like Matt said, there's more, there's bigger things to worry about with this team, and one of the big things would be coverage. Logan Ryan, ooh, I mean, he did not look good in this game, um, and I'll let you guys talk about that. For me, it was easy. I mean, he doesn't look comfortable on the outside. And the thing that really sucks about the whole situation is we're paying $10 million a year for somebody that we may have to put in the slot, which <laughs> I don't think that's going to work. So he's definitely got to bounce back. He's going to have a huge chip on his shoulder. Um, first play of the game, he gave up, I think it was like a 14, 15-yard play, and then got burned, I think, two plays later by a no-name receiver. We cannot have that. He is probably the biggest concern, and not only because – secondary is our weak link on the team this is the guy that's supposed to come in and you know establish somebody on that outside when when we kind of always had our doubts that he could be that guy he's proving us right so far i'm hoping that we can eat our words later but we definitely need an answer for the outside yeah he was exactly the guy that i was afraid he was going to be in that game you know and it is his first time out there with this team in this defense but those were man plays he was getting killed on and not by a great receiver. The guy that was beating him like a drum, he's maybe the fourth or fifth guy on this team if he's playing for the Titans. So he's he's not somebody that sh- should be taking on our star defensive back because that's what he came here to be. We did give him $10 million to come in here and play the nickel. But that's who he was whenever he was in New England. He was a really good nickel back and a really barely average everything else. And so he looked like the guy that we thought he was. And he's going to have to prove that he's not that guy. And he's got to do it pretty quick. Or this team and the fans and us, obviously, are going to just eat him alive for it. Another thing, too, to think about is, like, even with the starters of the Jets, there's no good wide receivers on this team. There's nobody on this entire depth chart that's even average um, NFL wide receiver talent. This is going to be the easiest wide receiver core we're going to play all year, probably. And, and that kind of showing, I know it's still preseason, I understand that, there's a lot to work out, but I mean, he did not look good, he looked lost very often in that game, got burnt on double moves, I noticed a couple times, which I mean, you should be getting out of that mode in college, and you know, Logan Ryan's not that guy, he looked really bad on the outside, and like Glenn said, it's exactly what we thought might happen with him being on the outside, but we were very, we were hoping that that wouldn't be the case, it really looked like it after this game. The best player on the Jets plays for us now. That's Eric Decker. That, right, by exactly. far the best player they had for a wide receiver. He plays for us. Well, Randy Marshall other... plays for the Giants now. Right, exactly. They've right. lost their two best guys. They're now playing on other teams. There's nobody on that roster that should scare you. Even Quincy Inua, or whatever his name is, is out for the year. His career may even be done with that neck injury he had. So there's nothing on that team that should be getting you first downs or huge, huge plays downfield. Certainly not over your number one cornerback. Right, and I felt like the secondary, and I'll ask you guys how you felt this, uh, the secondary as a whole really played an underwhelming game for me. I thought some guys had decent showings, uh, but nobody really like came out and, and blew me away with how they performed. 
you know, obviously this is going to be the biggest concern for us, biggest worry for us is this position group going into the season, and we knew it was going to be that way, you know, for months now. I'll say this. I think that not only as a cornerback, but as a returner, if you want to focus in on a Dory Jackson, I don't think he disappointed or impressed. It was, you know, a mediocre showing. But at the same time, when you're when you talk about up and coming cornerbacks, no news is almost good news because you didn't get blown out. You didn't turn into Logan Ryan. As far as the return game goes, he didn't do much. He only had two opportunities, kind of fizzled out on the second one. The first one had a little potential, but you know, he he did what he was supposed to as a corner. He didn't do anything special. He wasn't he wasn't anything great. But as far as the corners go, they just kind of were pretty bland overall. Yeah, no no one blew me away. I thought Sims played okay. Uh, he, he was generally in position. He wasn't just getting smoked. The guy that impressed me the most was uh, Kalen Reed just flying around in run defense. You know, he, his first opportunity to make a tackle wasn't good, but then he was on the spot everywhere else. So I thought he had a really good game. Him and uh, Bayard, both of those guys played really well. Our corners were definitely outshone by our safeties in this game. There were some guys that were okay. I thought that, that Sims played a, you know, an okay game. I thought that, especially me and, and Glenn, what we thought we were getting with Jackson, I thought he did a little bit better than I would expect him to in his first game. But still, it was an okay performance. No one blew me away. The only person that blew me away in coverage was not a safety or a cornerback, but it was a linebacker. I thought Jayon Brown looked very good. You know, for a, being a fifth-round guy coming in, he, he made some plays. He looked, he really impressed me in this game. And, you know, you guys have been talking about him a lot. And, you know, I was high on him, but I don't think I was quite as high as you guys were. But, I mean, I'm definitely in step right with you guys now after that game. He impressed me in this one. Definitely. Byard was a beast for the limited time he was on the field. He had tackles for loss. When when you send him on a blitz, he's almost likely to always get there. Jayon Brown played a great game, was all over the place. Another guy that you guys may not be so high on that I thought played really well was Aaron Wallace. I thought Aaron Wallace played a great game. He was he may not have had the stats, but he was all over the field. Austin Johnson made a play that was uh, getting his hands up, causing a fourth down. Jayon Brown. I think he looked a little small in run uh, defense, but you, know, you guys covered it. He, he's proving to be a very good guy in pass protection, which we need from the linebacker spot. Just when I saw him out there, he looks like a safety playing with the linebackers. It just at two twenty-five and six foot, he's just he's not an imposing guy in that linebacker group. Doesn't mean a damn thing about how he plays. I'm just for the looks of him. Aaron Wallace is a guy I was really high on last year. I told you that it would take him a year or two to figure out how to play football because he, he wasn't a finished product or anywhere near it yet. Last year, whenever he got his chances, he was fast, but he didn't know what he was doing. I think this weekend he showed that he's learning. He's getting there. and He's got the athleticism and just you know crazy speed to make a difference if he can figure out where to apply that to. And so we got a, we got a glimpse of it. I don't know that if – He'll be a difference maker this year still, but he's on his way. I, th- I think they got a really good steal by picking him up as late as they did. Byard, uh, Reed, I thought those guys were everywhere. I was really impressed by him. And Austin Johnson, you know, he was my boy last year too, and he didn't show out last year, but that was a good job of getting his hands up when he realized he couldn't get to the quarterback. Yeah, I, I thought Byard played a really good game, but I kind of expected that out of Byard. We're all pretty high on him. I know Matt's very high on him. 
He played a good game, but I expected Byard to play a good game in this one. You guys bring up a good point with Aaron Wallace. Aaron Wallace is a guy I remember, you know, like Glenn said, being very high on. I was very low on. But he seems like he's going to be a good asset for us to have on that defense. You know, a good piece to to rotate in. And, uh, you know, that's always, you know, a great thing to have. He played a good game. I remember that play that you were talking about, Matt, with Austin Johnson knocking that ball down. I thought that he played good. I'm really hoping that he takes a really big step forward this year. I know we all are. Jayon Brown, though, he looked good in this game, uh, being a fifth-round pick. And I, There's another guy that I think that you could, after this game, you would have to put him in that watch list, so to speak. And that was Taewon Taylor. It was four catches, 56 yards. I believe he led all wide receivers in yardage. Now, he did have one rush for nine yards in that game. He did have nine targets, I believe it was, in this game. A lot more targets than he had catches. Going back, I watched the game again. None of those really were his fault. There were a lot of overthrown balls, underthrown balls, balls thrown a little too inside or a little too outside. I really don't think that he was to blame for the vast majority of them. And then that catch that they originally called a touchdown and then brought it back after they realized he was down by contact. That was a gorgeous catch, and he played that corner exactly like he should have to make sure that he was the only one to get to that ball because it was not a very well-thrown ball. But he made the perfect move to make sure that he could outbody the corner. He slowed down, got big, and made that corner play on the outside so he could get to that ball. That was a great, fantastic play. I was really excited to see that. He played it perfect. The thing is with him, I mean, yeah, he did have some drop balls, and I will put some blame on him. There's a couple, even though they, they may not have been, you know, in the numbers, they did go through his hands. So those need to be caught, especially in a game, you know, if, if Marcus is throwing them. But, yeah, I have always liked Taylor. I thought that he was going to be good coming out. I think it's different from what we saw last year with Tajay. I think he's going to be way better than Tajay ever will be. I think that, you know, it's it's kind of the same as far as – we're seeing the spark from a young rookie receiver with opportunity. If Corey Davis was in the game, we may not be able to see all this opportunity, but I'm glad he's getting his chances. In my opinion, he made the most of it, even though he had some drops. Like you just said, if his ankle didn't touch the, the corner, that's a touchdown. The very next play after they called it back, they ran the sweep with him. I love that play. I don't want to get too far ahead, but uh, that was one of the plays that I actually loved, and there were not many of them during this game. I'm going the same direction Matt was. This was his chance to put something on tape for the coaches and really show up and prove something to the coaching staff and his teammates that you know Davis is another field. If he's going to be the number one guy, he's going to make some plays. He's still not a blazing fast guy, but he's so quick and he's agile. He, he's a much more explosive player than Tajay will ever be. Sharp is the reliable. He'll get to where he's supposed to be. and He'll make a good catch for you. Taylor can make something happen when he catches the ball. And I was really glad to see him making those moves. And like you guys said, that diving catch where he ends up tripping over the uh, the foot and still had the thought process to get up and run. Because in college, you just you lay there because it's already over because you went to the ground. And he got up and just immediately took off running again. And it was just the feet touching on the way down. So not a big deal as far as not getting the touchdown, but it was a great job of him of making that catch. He had some drops. He's kind of the guy I thought he was, where I thought he would be explosive in his moments. But I was glad to see him be that guy, where he impresses you by how hard he's playing and by the catches he is making. And 
when he's not making the catches, a couple of balls slip through his hands. That explains why we got him in the third round instead of in the uh, the second or first. That's something that we talked about, and you know, I, I talked about it at length in one episode. Him being a body catcher, that I mean, it's definitely something he's going to have to work on, and it's something that I expected. Uh, to see, because, you know, you saw it in college. He catches with his body. He doesn't catch as well with his hands. But, you know, NFL coaching, and as good as those gloves are nowadays, I, I actually got to play around with one of those gloves in a jugs machine about a month ago. And, you know, I'm not the best pass catcher in the world, but I was snagging every one-handed ball. You know, they, they came to me. I mean, it was too easy to catch those balls. So I think, you know, with the technology and the gloves and the coaching that he has, that's only going to be a problem for a short while. Yeah, I mean, listen, the main thing I took away from this game were a few things. We had, obviously, the O-line was a mess. The play calling really scared me. We could not find a rhythm the entire game, hence why we only got three points. But I'm worried about Rubisky's play calling because, like we brought up in the past, what did you call him, a mad scientist or something? (laughs) You're You're either on or you're completely off, and... I don't know. It, it worries me. I mean, we have the potential to be a great offense. I don't know if Robisky's the guy to lead us the way. Although, I have heard that supposedly Marcus will be calling more of the plays this season. Uh, they're giving him more freedom anyway. I don't know what that means exactly. But aside from that, that's my main concern. Obviously, you know, the, the O-line stood out the most, but the play calling, we could just knock it any rhythm whatsoever. And And the only kind of spark we got was from old reliable Harry Douglas when you know nothing was going right we're inside our own 10 and he comes out with back-to-back catches to take us out to you know almost the 50 yard line so don't count Harry Douglas out yet either I think he does have a chance to be that last receiver we were having the same conversation about Robisky you know early last year too the play calling doesn't make sense to us in the preseason I think a lot of it's just putting things on film seeing how guys react to certain plays you know, seeing what's going to work with this this personnel setting or that personnel setting, I, I don't worry about the play calling in the preseason. You you're, you're not going to run your good stuff because you don't want to put that on film for anybody else. And you're also playing Alex Tanney the whole game, and you're putting different guys in there. Alex Tanney and Derek Henry are not going to be our starters. We're not going to call the same plays for them that we're going to call for Marcus and Demarco. When Davis is back and when Decker's playing the full game, we're going to run different plays. So I, I wasn't worried about the play calling. I get it. it. It wasn't pretty. That wasn't what we want to see them running. But we kind of said that in week four during the season last year, and it turned out all right by the end of the season. So I'm going to reserve judgment on Robisky until I see a little bit more live action when it actually counts. <laughs> My only thing is the whole run, run, pass, run, run, pass. It's a little predictable, and it a doesn't little. work. <laughs> it doesn't work. I'm just, you know, I know we're vanilla right now, and. Again, a lot of this is overreaction. I don't think anybody's really worried at this point. You can't take too much from this game, and I'm not taking that much from it. You just said it. Our starters are not in there. At the same time, man, if that was Marcus that took that hit that Taney took, I mean, we would be screaming a whole different tune right now. That's the kind of hit that got you know Wizard Hunt fired. Yeah, absolutely. Glenn, I almost cut you off before you started that because I knew you were going to say the the film stuff. I mean, we had this exact same conversation already. So I was gonna, I thought of this, and we should ask the you know fans of the show, everybody's listening. We'll put a poll up on our our Facebook and our Twitter. Do you think that Robisky is the mad scientist that's just throwing stuff at the board and seeing what works, or do you think that he's 
the the strategy genius that's just throwing stuff on tape to confuse defenses. Uh, you know, I, I think personally it's a little bit of both, but we'll see. We'll put it out there and let people vote and see what they think. But there's definitely some, like, real predictable – you guys mentioned it – real predictable play calling. But one thing I wanted to move on to was, uh, you know, and Matt touched on Harry Douglas, man. Last year he was a master of efficiency. And in this game, he was a master of efficiency. He's not going to be a guy that's like you know ever going to be good for fantasy because he doesn't get targeted enough. But when Harry Douglas gets targeted, he makes the play. He gets the catch, and he mm-hmm. doesn't get a whole lot of yards after the catch. But he always gets really good averages. I mean, he had a sixteen point three yards per catch average. He's always getting stuff down the field, over the middle of the field. Harry Douglas, like in those intermediate to long passes, that's where he does his business. And, and man, he catches everything that comes to him. And I think you're right, Matt. I think he is going to put a lot of pressure on a lot of these younger guys to make the team because when Harry Douglas goes out there, he performs. And how many catches last year? I mean, if you did the percentage of how many catches he had last year compared to how many of them were big plays that we needed in football games, it's like 80% of the balls he caught. More big moments in games where we need him. You know, it's at third and eight, and he catches a 19-yard pass. Like, those were the plays that Harry Douglas made. Um, and he came out in this one, and, and, like, three catches, three targets, 49 yards, 16.3 yards per catch, and just a master of efficiency. Yeah. I mean, I think other teams probably sleep on him, too, which is why his numbers are so good in that aspect. But, hey, fuck it. it whatever works, right? Yeah. He's the guy that Taewon Taylor's got to make those catches to get him off the roster. You know, when he, he misses that body catch, when the ball goes between his hands, those are the plays that will go to Harry Douglas when it actually matters. Taylor will get his shots first and second down. Then they're going to read Douglas in for that must-make third-down reception. That's going to be how that's going to work out if no one else can push him off the roster. So you know, Probably the only way Douglas leaves is if the talent pushes him off the roster. And if you don't make every catch... And all the clutch plays, you're never going to get rid of that guy because that's what he does is he makes those small plays when it really counts. Let me ask you guys this. Let's say that uh, Harry shows up for these remaining three preseason games and Tajay, I don't even know if he gets playing time in any of these games, but let's say Tajay has an average game, nothing nothing to you know boast about. Do you take an aging Harry Douglas over the potential Tajay Sharp I was just going to say, the big thing is, you know, you want to have that reaction at, like, no, but, you know, Tajay right. was involved in that stuff on the off off the field, you know, this offseason, and, and, you know, Tretola had one more incident, and we saw, what, I mean, obviously a big incident, but he was off the team, and I, I think that they, that's going to obviously play a part in this, you know, as much as Tajay obviously won't want it to, but it's going to play a, a big part in this, I think. And, and Harry Douglas came out and he's playing really well. If Harry Douglas keeps playing like this in, in every preseason game, especially now, you know, that they don't have to make the final cuts, Harry, if he keeps playing like this, I could honestly see Harry Douglas pushing some guys. Now, I don't know if he could push Sharp. You know, he played really good in the beginning of the season last year. It depends on how many guys, you know, we, we plan on keeping. It's It's a crowded group now, that's for sure. But I, I think you could see Harry Douglas squeak in as that sixth guy. Yeah, that, that's the that's the key thing is if we keep six receivers, which is probable, I think. We probably will keep six receivers. I think we will too because Sharp is too cheap and too young to get rid of. 
this team isn't going to throw away a young guy who's on his rookie contract. That's just not going to happen. And we've got three guys on their rookie contracts, and then Matthews and Decker. Those guys aren't going anywhere either. They almost certainly keep six. You know, D- Douglas, as long as he makes the plays when he's given that chance, he'll stay on the roster. The only way I, they would get rid of him is if they'd make him a coach. It's just, I, I don't see that happening. I said that earlier, you know, during the offseason that, Harry Douglas could become your next coach because that's what he does is he helps everybody. But if he he can be a coach for not a whole lot of money and be on the field too, then you might as well keep six guys because there is surely somebody else that you can move to the practice squad instead of him. I will say this. We we won't get rid of him, but we will get rid of him if he, you know, he cheddar bobs himself like Trey Tola did. That's when you get out of that rookie contract real quick. If, if you're not a star, you cheddar bob yourself, you're, you're fucked. <laughs> exactly. One more thing I wanted to uh, bring up, guys, is Akeem Judd. You know, it's a guy that we haven't really talked about much. You know, not a lot of people are very familiar with him. Comes out of Old Miss. You know, obviously, by the time he got into the game, he's playing a lot of third and fourth string guys. And I understand that. It was weak competition. Uh, but he looked like the best back in the game. You know, it's we didn't see a lot of explosiveness out of a lot of these running backs. And Judd came out there and was explosive. He had a really good, I think it was 10.6 yards per carry, which, you know, I mean, that's just ridiculous. He's explosive. He was finding holes well. He's making people miss. I, I really liked watching him in this game. Now, I will say this, he is still a real long shot to make this team. And this is another position group where we're not only a great starter, but we're real deep. But I, I found, he was really good in this game. I also found it interesting you know, he he led the team in yards. I also think he led the, outside of Henry, uh, led the team in carries. But Kalfani Muhammad, not a single carry in this game. I'm not at all surprised Muhammad didn't get any carries. I don't think he's in real consideration as a running back. Um, he's going to have to make special teams, and then he'll get a chance to make something happen if we ever get in bad shape with our running backs. That's kind of his window for making the squad. From the things that Jim Wyatt has been tweeting out, and commenting on about Muhammad's uh, return game and can't catch the ball. He looks like, like a real long shot than to be anything but a practice squad guy, you know, a couple weeks in. So I wasn't really shocked with him. Judd surprised me. One of the notes I made watching this game was that as many yards as uh, King Henry makes, you know, he, he gets you five yards. He doesn't look like he's going anywhere doing it. Part of that's just his size. You know, he eats up the yards really fast because he's so big, and then he falls forward and gains two more yards. But he didn't seem to have a burst or be explosive. And Judd was, every time he got that ball, he looked like he was trying to score. And that's the kind of fire I want to see from my running backs. And I'm not worried about Henry's, you know, effort level or anything else. I'm just, from watching Henry and then watching Judd whenever he did get on the field against third, fourth string guys, he still... Every time he got the ball, he gave it everything he had. That's what I wanted to see from a young guy who's just trying to make the team. For me, I thought David Fluellen was going to have the game that Judd had. But from what I saw, I mean, his one run was great. But after that, there wasn't much to see. Muhammad did actually get one carry for three yards for whatever that's worth. Okay. Yeah, but but Fluellen, I thought, was going to be the guy. When Derrick Henry went out, I expected Tanny and Fluellen to take over the game, which never happened. <laughs> but... I don't know. Fluellen's looked great in camp. I thought this was going to be his time to shine as a the third back. But I don't know what to think of Muhammad right now. I know not too long ago in, in camp, he 
muffed three punts in a row or something like that. I don't know exactly what the stat was, but he has not been playing very well lately. I know kick returns something new to him, but I expected Flewellen to show out, and he certainly didn't. I don't buy much into Judd. I don't think he's going to stick around. I don't. I don't know if he makes the practice squad, to be honest. But for these three remaining games, I do expect Flewellen to be that next up and coming back that may or may not make the roster, but. End of the day, I don't know if, if he's what we need or, or what we really want. With Derrick Henry, I don't want to leave him out. He ran pretty well. He was 8 for 29 with, with a, a 9 yard as his uh, longest run. But we didn't talk about uh, his blocking. Obviously, you guys know the play I'm talking about. But I don't know if it was technically his fault or Fowler's fault that blew up Tanny. But they both picked the same guy to block. Well, meanwhile, the middle linebacker came right up the field and, and basically – took Tanny's head off, which they didn't call the flag for. We didn't talk about that either. There's a few flags out there that were questionable. Uh, you know, Casey's flag was bullshit. You know, no other way to put it. But you're right. Guys were making bad moves. I don't know that I want them to call that hit on Tanny because it didn't look like he led with the face mask. But during the regular season, anytime you make contact with a quarterback, say the flag's getting thrown. So you might as well call it in the preseason too thought that you know that was obviously a mistake made but I do think it goes back a little bit to Tanny not um, making the right reads because you saw on a a similar play he got blown up and Taylor Lewan shifts out to block and there's nobody there there he's he's blocking nobody and he tries to come back in and Tanny you know would look like he was going to scramble he took off running but then he just slid to the ground in the backfield um, for a sack and on that play you, you saw Lawan push out wide and there's nobody I mean there's no one there to block cut back inside and tried to help out but at that time it was you know too little too late so you know I, I, I don't know I feel like Tanny just he didn't do a good job under center you know and pre-snap reads and everything before the snap Tanny did not seem to do well and I you, you expect that from a guy that I mean never gets on the field very much but um but real quick, I wanted to ask you guys, uh, before we completely jump out of the, the running backs, what would you say the odds right now, for anybody wondering out there, the odds that Judd does stick around, that he could push Flewellen back? I, at the end of the, yeah, there you go, 10%, like Matt said. Uh, I think he ends up on the practice squad. Fl- Flewellen is one of those guys that he's been on the practice squad. He's bounced around. He knows the system. He's a serviceable back, which is all they really want. They want someone who's consistent back there um pretty much i think the third back is going to be a guy that can pass block the best of the guys that are left more than anything else if you can go back there and protect marcus because the other two guys are out that's your biggest way to make the squad as far as being out there on sunday otherwise i think he uh Fluellen could easily end up on the practice squad again if they can find somebody else to put in there there's no telling what will happen with the waiver wire because we know by now robbins is always looking but I think Judd probably ends up on the practice squad because as much heart as he showed, it's that same kind of heart that we saw with Cobb. You know, Cobb gave it everything he had. He just didn't have the talent. Judd seems to be a little bit quicker, but I don't think he's good enough to actually make the team. I'm going to go with 11% and just um, <laughs> price, is price is right, you right. guys. <laughs> yeah, so if he does make the squad, I look like the genius of the group. Um, yeah, I don't think it's high. I, I was really impressed with him. I thought he was explosive. You know, Matt said You said earlier, Matt, that you only – the one big run, but I noticed he had a nine-yard run, a uh, different point that I thought was really good. I, there was a couple runs of his that I really liked. You know, um, 
I thought he did good. I, I thought, you know, he does. Like Glenn was saying, he plays with heart, man. He, he's, he was explosive. He was looking for holes. He was fighting for yards. And and you could definitely tell when you watch Derrick Henry play. Obviously, Derrick Henry's a different kind of monster and a, and a completely different – I mean, I don't even know if they're the same species, to be honest. But um, you could tell that Derrick Henry it wasn't playing for his job. I mean, you could tell that Derrick Henry's <laughs> playing preseason football – you know, as a guy that's got a spot locked down, and a Judd was not. Judd was playing for his spot on the team. Judd was playing as if this was a regular season game, which is what you have to do when, when you're in that position. Um, and that's why you end up seeing, you know, was it 10.6 yards per carry compared to, I think, 3.6 is what uh, Henry ended up with, or somewhere around there. Um, I mean, you could tell that that Henry was saving something. He, he wasn't using it all. He wasn't being the, the Derrick Henry. We know he can be. Uh, but he doesn't need to, you know. Judd did. I, the flu Wellen, I think, is going to be the guy. I do think that Judd has a good shot of sticking around on the practice squad, though. As much hard as he shows, he keeps doing that, you know, week in and week out. I think he has a good job or a good chance of sticking around because we know how John Robinson and Mike Malarkey feel about those guys that want to show up and play every play. I wanted to move on, guys, to one more topic I have here, and we can touch on any topics you get, you still have. But uh, Eric Weems and Dory Jackson on our punt returns. We didn't have a single kick return in this game. Um, we had a touchback, so we didn't get to see anybody there. But in punt returns, neither of them really like looked overly impressive. Dory Jackson had an average of three yards on his punts. Eric Weems an average of three point eight yards on his punt returns. But also, you know, I will say that. They're out there with a bunch of guys that aren't going to make the team. You know, there's a bunch of guys blocking for them that are going to be looking for jobs. And you know, here in a few short weeks, I don't think Eric Weems is going to be able to excel with you know shitty blockers in front of him. I think Adoree could. I mean, that's that's basically what he is. He's an explosive guy who who can make plays out of nothing. We didn't see it. Neither guy impressed me. I, I can't stress enough how much I feel that Eric Weems would just be a waste of space on this roster. I'm hoping anything but Eric Weems happens to the special teams. That's pretty much where I am. I, I don't hate Eric Weems like Matt seems to, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's I, I'm not concerned about Eric Weems' ability to return the ball. I don't expect him to be on the team opening day, and if he is, you know, fine. No one was going to get a lot of yards uh, Saturday night, though. Uh, this this team did not come to play special teams from the looks of it. We did a decent job on coverage, but there was there wasn't a bunch of great blocking going on there. I don't think there were a lot of opportunities to make really good returns, even if the blocking had kind of set up. So th- this wasn't the game where I'm going to judge anything to do with our special teams return game yet. You know, we'll see how that goes later on in the season. I, I'm just I'm not ready to have an opinion about it yet. All right, guys, we have a game coming up this Saturday against the Carolina Panthers. Hopefully we see a little bit more um, from a lot of these guys and, and get some more stuff to talk about. And obviously we'll be talking about that game on the show uh, after it happens and recapping it. Before we get out of here, guys, I wanted to mention again that raffle that we have going on. Uh, you can get a lot of prizes here. It's going to end the 22nd of August at midnight Eastern time. So if you want to get in on this, you want a chance to win these prizes, you have to get in before that time. Again, that's August 22nd at midnight. Enter for a chance to win tickets to the Week 9 game against the Ravens. You get to come on and do your predictions for the season with us right before the season starts. You could be uh, the winner of the final slot in our Fantasy Football League for TTU. Uh, or 
you can do a shout out on the show. A lot of cool prizes there, so definitely check it out. It's two bucks for a ticket, three for five, or ten for ten. You can find those if you go to ttupodcast.com. Up in the top, you'll see our stores right there. You can click on it. Real simple, easy. Click, put your credit card in, or PayPal us the money, and it's real fast, real simple to do. So definitely check that out. And obviously, if you're on Facebook, you need to go to Tennessee Titans Uncensored. Join the page. If you listen to the show, you're probably already there. I believe we got over 9,200 right now. I want to see 10,000 by the season. Uh, Also, search Two-Tone Uncensored on Facebook for our actual podcast page. A lot of good stuff coming from there. Glenn, you want to tell them about the Twitter page? At uh, TTU Podcast. That's where you'll find us on Twitter. You'll find me at Two-Tone Hollywood, the number two, Tone Hollywood. Uh, We try to be active on there. Hit us up. We'll hit you back. Try to spread out the knowledge. <laughs> uh, yeah, my Twitter handle is at Matt Necrone. I like to keep it simple. I'm not a, you know, big shot Hollywood star like Glenn. You can find me at the Ryan Moreland. Uh, but that's all we have really for the show. Another big thanks to Keith Bullock for coming on with us. A thanks to this audience, everybody listening. You guys are what makes this show possible. So always a big thanks to you and thanks to my awesome co-hosts that make this show worth doing, Matt and Glenn. Everybody out there, get ready for this preseason game coming at us and tighten up. KB53. KB53. Can't say that enough, can you? Thanks for listening to the Two-Tone Uncensored podcast. You can listen to the show at twotoneuncensored.podbean.com or by downloading the Podbean app on your mobile device. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Two Tone Uncensored and like us on Facebook.